Hey folks, our guest this week is Trevor Sullivan from the band Bullpup. This was actually one of the first episodes that we taped with a guest, and we've been holding off on releasing it so that we could promote the newest Bullpup single, which is called Veronica Sawyer's Big Day Out. It's the song that's playing behind me right now, and it comes out next week, June 18th. It's the lead single off of the new Bullpup album called Be Evil, which will be out in August, and we're going to have Trevor back on around that time. But for this episode, our topic was healthy competition or healthy rivalries. And just a heads up, this is mostly specific to music and artistry and creating alongside other people who you consider peers and what it's like to have a healthy and motivating back-and-forth playful jabbing with our fellow creators. So again, the new single is Veronica Sawyer's Big Day Out. There will be a few more singles released over the summer, and Bullpup's album Be Evil will be released in, I believe, August or early September. So keep your eye out for those, and enjoy the show. We're going to be talking about healthy competition today. And I'm not researched at all on this. I don't know if you guys did any any prepping, but I figured we would just do an off-the-cuff episode about um, what it looks like to have a healthy rivalry where you're both competitive and encouraging and uh, what that looks like as far as creative output and what that looks like as far as social comfortability and things like that. Trevor, what do you think it looks like? What do I think it looks like? It sounds like you're deflecting, Matt. It sounds like you're uh, currently in second place just by virtue of you deferring to me. I would say I'm trying to gain the upper hand. (laughs) Part of my strategy. That's my game. Um, I feel like it looks a lot like that conversation that just happened where there's a lot of uh, healthy and controlled ribbing, but ultimately we're both trying to achieve the same goal and make sure that the other one gets there. Uh, But it's also a motivator. It's kind of like when you have a gym buddy and you know you're just inherently less likely to show up to the gym if you don't have that other person there that's going to kind of motivate you to be there because uh, otherwise you feel guilty and you're like oh man i gotta go lift the weights otherwise it's seven in the morning and my my dude is there at the gym to fucking pump bro and i am not and i'm letting him down it's a lot like that just making sure that you know you're on top of things like getting your demos done and stuff like that, learning. I mean, Matt's also significantly ahead in the game compared to me just because he's so old. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's he's seen uh, a fair few more things than I have. <laughs> All right, if I can step in as moderator here. Yeah. Uh, Matt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, age versus talent. Where are we on that? Uh... I mean, I've been playing for a while, but I don't think I've been like doing it to the level that I want to be doing it for as long as that, you know? I've been playing gigs since I was like 11 or something, but I've it definitely had not hit any kind of a respectable plateau. Or maybe it hasn't actually yet. <laughs> but um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I didn't consider it like this kind of stuff didn't start factoring into my whole game plan until I was a little bit older, like the the peer pressure element of it or like when I started it was just like the wonder of it all and then I started getting a little hooked on the stuff like the rivalry like me and Trevor have it's kind of it's fun it's like maybe it's that (laughs) that like latent macho streak we were talking about in one of the other ones but 
it's like a little bit of like a jock kind of thing sometimes like a little bit of peer pressure but it's healthy like we still you know we can be like fucking with each other to the ends of days but if one of us breaks a string you know the other one's always right there to bring a guitar up and stuff so i really i like that so what I'm hearing is that Matt is the more actually you're both like this. You're both like the self-effacing competitors who are <laughs> <laughs> who at once love to uh, beat on each other a little bit, but also are incredibly supportive and empathetic and compassionate toward what one another is doing in their creative pursuits. I think we're both also gluttons for punishment. Mm. And uh we're willing to push each other or just live in those uncomfy moments to uh, learn a thing. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like there, there's also a hint of that too, uh, where, where sometimes the chaos is invited just because you kind of learn, especially because usually if that's the kind of thing where it's not happening organically and me and Matt are setting it up on each other, the few times where something like that's happened, it's usually been in a very safe space to the point where it's almost inconsequential. But you still get the uh, lesson of what do you do in that situation. So you're both in punk bands and you're both also doing like the solo acoustic thing. I don't know if one is your main and one is on your on the side or how you really define that for yourselves. But uh, I wonder, is there an arena in which you're more competitive with each other, whether it's like the loud electric or the soft acoustic? Definitely loud for me. Okay, I don't feel any competition with acoustic. Yeah, I refuse to take my acoustic stuff seriously. I mean, the nature of my acoustic stuff is I literally have always referred it to as cleaning the gutters for bullpup. It's just kind of to get out all the in-between and sillies. If I ever feel like putting out something that's a little less serious, uh, that's usually what Zero at Best ends up being. There's just something about it, too. It feels kind of wrong to be going up there with this, like, pumped-up attitude to then, like, you know, it, it feels like a more contemplative medium and more of, like, a, a gentle kind of a thing. And then when we go up with our electrics, dude, it's like, it's on, you know, that's when it if, feels good. <laughs> if nothing else, we're gentle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just that feeling of like when you plug into an amp or something and you just, you hear that sound, it's not gentle, at least not when you and I do it. So, well, it also is quite ironic that on happenstance, this isn't by choice. We play the exact same amp in almost identical guitars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that works out <laughs> i mean do you do you feel it more one way or another do you feel it at all with the acoustic i mean i can't feel it with the acoustic just because i can't take it seriously it's mm. just not what 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 my specific acoustic project is it just could not be fucked to be a serious thing <laughs> meanwhile bullpup i take way too seriously and i'm calculating the score against everything on the planet mites of <laughs> dust let alone you so. <laughs> do you think that the competitive feeling is like a you know how they say a show that you're not nervous for is the show you should be nervous for do you think it has anything to do with that part of your your psyche when you're going out to do something like that or is it kind of a you know an adjunct thing like an adjacent thing to your whole on stage to me you know I've never really had stage fright just because I grew up doing the theater thing. Mm. So that was kind of beaten out of me like very young. Like I'm talking like toddler years, but for me, it's more an aloof thing. Mm. I feel like stage fright kind of implies a sense of danger or like something like that, you know, like there's a fear yeah. factor, 
I think for me, it's more of a effort to be applied thing because if I'm just like going out there and I'm just like, okay, here we go. We're going to do this as opposed to, oh no, we need to top that or this needs to be as good as it possibly can. It's more fulfilling uh, the order than it is, oh shit, we might not make it. It's more like we're going to do this right as opposed to just, oh yeah, let's get this done. Yeah. So do you have shows where you feel flat in that respect at all? Like like I'll have shows where I get stage fright, but I don't know if it's from a, it's not always from a place of like, I'm going to fail. It's just this kind of like chemical terror. Like it's just this feeling of like, oh God, oh my God, why am I doing this? But then there's that feeling of like, yeah, I got to go fulfill this thing that I'm about to go do. But then you have those shows where either you're not in the mood or it's just kind of, you just look out and you're like, this isn't going to be great. You know, you just flat, like it's not exciting. Do you have those? It's basically, I flail around as much as I do to keep myself on track. Cause if Mm -hmm. I go onto autopilot, it's just a bust and I feel like shit about it because Mm -hmm. it's a lame show. If I'm an autopilot. That's interesting too. Cause I've never seen that reflect in your shows, you know, like I've, I've seen shows where you've come off and said that you were in that place but it's never once been apparent. Like there's never been a moment where I've been like, oh, Trevor's phoning it in today. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go down swinging for sure. I but it, feel it like does it's happen. Cute. That, that little guy, he's trying, you know, it's always that. <laughs> it's like, there goes Trevor. He's going to get it. Ah, <laughs> oh, look at him. He thinks he's people. All right, so here's a question. Obviously, there's a lot of admiration for each other, but I don't see a lot of emulation of each other. And that's something that you do see with like competitive people where sometimes there's, you know, I'm going to do this specific style or this specific form better. Like neither of you is coming after the other going like, I'm going to take your sound and do it better. It's more about energy. It's more about the presentation of your art and making that better through competition? Mm. Um, so that's mostly true, although I do have an admission. <laughs> I completely jacked uh, Matt Minigel's strumming pattern for one of the songs that's on Be Evil for the okay. chorus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just because I got very comfortable with it for subbing for Matt uh, when he decided he was too cool to play his own shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I became very comfortable with that strumming pattern. I ended up using it in a chorus and I was like, oh no, this is the LJM, uh, strumming pattern. And then I was like, eh, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one thing that's, that's like you learn from your peers or you learn from your influences or, or whatever, but it's not like you try to copy his stage presence. It's not like you try to copy his composition style. Like there's the difference between technique and composition. You know what I mean? I wouldn't say that any bullpup songs sound like any nervous songs or vice versa. Not me and Matt's. Part of that might be too, that when we play together, like since we've met, you know, when we've played together in loud settings, like nervous is not a band that I am the main writer for. Yeah, so oh, there true. wouldn't be a lot of opportunities for us to rub off on each other in that way. And the songs that I play in Nervous that I wrote, like I wrote them, like I wrote them before we met. 
You know, so mm. it's, I wonder if it would be different if we were both fronting bands kind of in the same way. But we also, our influences, I feel like they cross over in a lot of ways, but they also, it's like we kind of came from like different ends, but like arriving at the same point. Like yeah. you did a lot more of like the theater background and delved more, in, like whenever we relate on like emo grounds, you know, it's like you've come more from that end of the emo spectrum and I've come more from kind of like, I just wanted to be like Green Day, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we align in a lot of those ways, but we also kind of crisscross in a lot of those ways. So mm. a lot of the commonality is like the performance and the kind of grandeur that we both strive for. <laughs> you know, we mentioned the amp and guitar thing earlier, but I mm. do think that common ground is in the tone and in the sounds and like how we like the strings to feel under our fingers. There's like a lot of similarity there. I've recorded with Matt a few times now. What me and Matt look for in a guitar tone is very similar. Mm. I've found, and I think that does come from that common ground. And I don't know if it's emulation of each other or just a common, uh, actual signed and relevant musician. Mm. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Well, it's interesting. Matt and I have like a lot of the same acoustic influences as far as like the dark folk players but we actually have very different guitar tones when we play acoustically. So what it comes down to, regardless of who your influences are, is what techniques feel the most comfortable to you and what techniques seem to suit your originality the most. And I guess that it's a good segue into what my next question is. Um, like a, a lot of, you know, you look at the scene that we're mostly a part of, and a lot of people in that scene, I think it could be argued, have similar influences, but none of them really sound exactly the same. Mm -hmm. You know, they all grow up listening to whoever, but their originality, their unique creative style is not something that overlaps very much between them. Yeah. So do you think that there's something to be said for kind of the role that each unique player has to accept within a music scene. Like, like having two bullpups wouldn't make sense. God. <laughs> like, <laughs> torture, yeah. <laughs> it would be overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I wonder if either, either of you can speak to that. Like there's an importance that you have to place on variety with any given music scene and importance that you have to place on like, I hesitate to use the word hierarchy because that's not the right word, but like a variegated, it has like a music scene has to be variegated in such a way that yeah. there is enough to take from every artist, enough to take from every angle that it stays interesting and it stays competitive. Yes, but not competitive in that you're competing to achieve the same sound or the, or the same presentation of your art. Well, this scene feels different to me than other scenes in that respect too. Like this one is one of the most like kind of respectful and sort of self-contained scenes that I've ever encountered personally. Like everybody is kind of a fan of each other. Like everybody supports each other, but in a very genuine way. So I feel like I've noticed this tendency to like when somebody gets to a point where they've carved out a little bit of a niche, like that's their niche and everybody respects that as much as, you know, without, you know, sometimes you do borrow something or you do kind of, yeah, it's like it's still you're in a scene together there's still going to be contact but like there's a lot more like acknowledgement of oh wow they're doing that thing and that's cool and then you find another thing that you can do that might complement it and I've noticed that a lot with the bills that end up happening in this scene like you can get these certain bills where it's just like that was a freaking good bill like everybody had a thing that all fit together into this big puzzle I have two 
relevant statements on it as bullpup has been fortunate enough to kind of move onward a little bit. And we've started to grow a little bit outside of home. I have found often that that phenomena is not the case. And I'm sure Matt, you have experienced this plenty too, is you do find a lot of bands that sound exactly the same. And that leads into the second statement, which is, I think having something to say is the difference. I think people having an actual unique story and actually having like, whether it's just their own story to tell of their personal life or just their own thing that they're fighting for or talking about or their own subject material, actually having a uh, thesis statement or like just like kind of a motto or whatever it is, like a theme, people actually have those in the scene that all three of us like connect on. Um, And I'm getting to a point where we are a part of some scenes where that's not definitely not always the case. Yeah, uh, for sure. And you find that people are just trying to sound like it, but they are just sounding like it. And they, they start to kind of blend together and become uh, homogenous to a degree. Yeah. I could definitely see that. Yeah. And it is kind of fascinating being a part of a scene that is not genre specific. You know what I mean? Yep. Like there's everything there's, there's such a variety of sounds of a variety of acts and of genre what I've seen, at least in our immediate area, is there are a lot of people who respect one another and are maybe competitive with, with one another, but the competition does not breed homogeneity. The competition mm-hmm. breeds the need to be authentic. Like this scene without the ability to own your authenticity and own your individuality in a way that serves your music and the scene simultaneously wouldn't be the same. Yeah. You know, if everyone was just going for the same genre, if everyone was just going for one upping each other, then you wouldn't have variety. You wouldn't have authenticity and you wouldn't have the individuality that makes everybody's unique creativity unique to them. I wonder if that's like a reflection of there not being a clear like label conduit the way that there used to be. Like if you think about it was kind of big. I remember hearing it a lot when I would watch like the VH1 classic movies and stuff, but a lot of times it was also present in, like when pop punk was really kind of at its apex, but you had this clear image and this clear sound and these labels that you would try to get on. And so there was basically, uh, there was a hierarchy. There was, it was almost like any other corporate job where like you start in the mailroom and you make your way up to whatever. Like it was structured kind of like that, where you look this way, you sound like this, you tour these cities, you get in touch with these people, and eventually you get to this point. And that doesn't exist anymore for all intents and purposes. So in this scene, it's kind of like the authenticity is like your passport. Like that's, if you bring that to the table, as long as you stay true to that, like that's kind of the language everybody is speaking because there's no rules anymore, you know? So you can have one person that's like, they're going to go up there and they're going to bleed folk punk and they're going to make that happen. And then you get someone else that wants to go up there and they're going to bleed emo and they're going to make that happen. And as long as they just mean it, you're bringing something. But there's no one saying, like, your hair is wrong, you're not going to be a pop star. Because no one knows what that word even means anymore in this day and age. I think the biggest competition that me and Matt have is who can bleed more. Yeah, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, 
and I have been talking a little bit about this fear of community that I have, which is really a fear of being accepted by a community. I'm working on it. It's, um, I, I have to confess that when I first started playing in the venues that I play now, and when I first started um, performing with the people I perform with now, I do have an insecurity about like, you know, I don't play folk punk. And so am I going to be appreciated by this audience as much as the people who do play folk punk would be appreciated? Like even with my own band, Grand Honey, the the other two members like a lot more folkier music than I do, or they like Grateful Dead and Fish, and I'm not really a big jam band person. Mm. And, you know, so does that get in the way of how we collaborate together? Does that get in the way of how we perform together? And does that get in the way of in the improvisational moments that we need to have on stage? Are they going to be drawing influences that I'm not drawing from? I guess what I'm getting at is like, I wish that there were more people that I could share all these influences with or share a common purpose with and sort of feel that push from them. You know, that's, that's hard for me to feel because it's, it's hard for me to sense competition without feeling threatened. So what happens when you do evoke the spirit of competition and then sense that somebody is feeling threatened by your competitiveness? That definitely makes it less pleasant, you know, because that's the weird thing. It's like, like, say me and Trevor, for example, it's like, we'll have that feeling of like, I'm going to kick your ass and I'm going to kick your ass. But like, I would never want him to actually feel like threatened by that, you know, it's, yeah. it should be a shot in the arm and nothing else. So it, it's weird because I've seen that happen and it's happened to me and it's happened from me in certain scenes just where that, I don't know, there's, there's no way that I've ever found to be kind of a foolproof way to navigate that feeling that yeah. kind of threatened feeling because it just is like a lot of times it's an insecurity thing or it's an ego thing or it's just a miscommunication or sometimes you both just want the exact same thing mm -hmm. you know so it's it's hard it's just it's kind of an ugly feeling when it lasts that way yeah well i'll tell you about um last winter i did a string of shows with ryan herrick and we were trying to figure out an arrangement because we will we'll play along to each other's songs whenever he's in town. He's from Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, so when he's in town and he's doing some shows, we'll, we'll play along with each other and we'll sit down first and try to work out arrangements. So we were doing that right before a show. We were playing the hearing room in Lowell and I was trying to figure out what part I should play. And he's like, well, why don't you play this? And then I played it with a different voicing and he said, oh, that sounds good. What did you just do there? And I said, I did what you did, but better. Now, I didn't mean I'm a better player than you, because I'm not. I meant we're trying to figure out what voicing sounds better. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I landed on the right one. You know, we're throwing around ideas here. Mm. He called me the next morning saying, like, that made me feel really insecure. I was kind of in a weird headspace going into that show. And, like, I was heartbroken. And we just kind of talked through it. Like, it wasn't a conflict really in our, in our friendship. So coming from the least two competitive musicians maybe in the world, <laughs> when one of us feels threatened, it comes out on stage. When one of us feels threatened, it comes out in the friendship. And neither of us was really challenging the other to competition, mm. but I think we both see each other as you know, that's kind of what I'm getting at here. It took me a long time to get here. But when you see one another as peers, 
right? Mm. And then the fear isn't that your peer doesn't respect you. It can be. But the fear can also be that your peer is surpassing you mm. and that you're not putting into the work and that you're not putting in the dedication. So there is this element of competition that is dangerous and unfriendly and threatening where you want to make sure that you're keeping up. You want to make sure that you're evolving at the same rate. You want to make sure that the work you're putting in is sufficient to maintain your place, whether it's the reputation that you have or whether it's the success that you want or whether it's the artistic output that you don't, you don't feel like you're as prolific as other people, whatever it may be. So I don't know, Matt, you already spoke to that, but Trevor, uh, what are your thoughts on defending yourself from the, th the threat of competition or addressing publicly the threat that can be present? So I actually have an almost completely opposite take to this than you, but I think it's also different via the nature of the art that we make. Mm. Um, Bullpup is essentially a headhunter for all intents and purposes in terms of what we do. Um, a lot of our lyrical content and our message is to kind of clean and change things for the better, especially in the scene um, with the second album that we're doing of just people that want to treat things as a boys club or people that want to, you know, show up to shows to get laid or take advantage of people or, flaunt their power around because they're so cool. Cause they're in a fuzz rock band. Mm. Um, Matt has been there and I won't name the name, but Matt has been there in a very specific case where that happened because um, you know, bullpup's not the biggest band in the world. And I know that, but we got into a situation where I felt extremely threatened, but also really pissed off because this band's really, really good. Objectively they're great, but they were being horrible people. So that compounded into a fuel that I tapped into instead mm. of it kind of crashing my night. That's probably one of the better shows I've played in my life. If that was coming from a friend, I don't think it would necessarily be the same. I think that's a kind of a different energy, but there is nothing that I uh, feel more comfortable in than rising to a fight and just being like, okay, this isn't right. And I'm going to sit here and take my stand for it. But again, I mean, bullpups loud and angry and disjointed and chaotic, and it kind of lends itself to that. If that happened to me on an acoustic show or with a friend or something, I think I would be way more tilted and it would probably completely crash how I was playing. Yeah. And I want to be clear, I actually do thrive off of a little bit of pressure. Mm. And I do thrive off of the need to make an impression. Okay. But, you know, for instance, like, I think of the times when Joe Folan has been in the audience. And right. he's a terrific jazz guitarist. And I'm not a terrific jazz guitarist, but I want to impress him because he's been through the schooling of music. Right, right, right. And, you know... <laughs> And it's weird to say that like, oh yeah, this kid who's 10 years younger than me, I want to impress him. But I, I do, you know, any guitarist that I think is as good as or better than me, I get the urge to hold my own. 
that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm being competitive with them or that I feel them being competitive with me. It's more that I want to make an impression at all to be on their same tier. Okay. Certainly not to say that I mean to surpass anybody. Certainly not to say that I mean to claim superiority, but I do thrive off of that pressure. If there is any sense of urgency to the performance, I do a little bit better. If I don't feel the urgency or if I feel a little bit lackadaisical because there's a blatant lack of urgency, then I'm not going to be at my best. I do need a little bit of pressure. I do need, I guess I need people to impress, but I don't need people to compete with. Does that make sense? Yeah. That makes plenty sense. Yeah. That, yeah. That actually might be the feeling that I've been mislabeling as competition all this time then. Cause like, <laughs> <laughs> no, cause, I mean, when you think about it, that is, there's no jockeying for like a spot, you know, it's not like when bullpup goes up and I'm like, Oh, I want to fucking smoke them. I want to go up. It's not about actually like knocking them down a peg so I can occupy that peg. It's about like, Oh shit, they just set the bar. So mm. I'm going to try to now leap that bar, you know? So it's not competitive in a lot of ways. It's actually kind of, there are definitely environments where I feel that like, like Trevor was saying, like when somebody is acting kind of shitty or when there's like a band that's like, strutting around and it's then it's like a kind of a different thing but but yeah i mean that's way more often than not the feeling you just described is the feeling that i've always just assumed was kind of a competitive nature that i have when it comes to these things yeah well the difference i think is that you you just described a sort of game of leapfrog you know you raise the bar uh, someone else raises the bar you clear the bar yeah by clearing the bar you've then set it for them to clear it again And the difference is in the, you know, there's healthy competition. That's great. Healthy competition, I think, is encouragement. Healthy competition is being proud of them for clearing the bar that you've set. And then it is that pride is reciprocated. That encouragement is reciprocated when you then clear the bar that they've just set. And so it's this ongoing game of leapfrog almost where you want each other to get better and better and better. And it's never about taking the other person down a peg. It has to be more about climbing the rungs together. Uh, and I do want to be clear for our listeners, like if you're not a musician, some of this might feel, feel foreign to you, and I apologize for that. But I think this is applicable to every area where you might be uh, striving. Yeah. I think this parallels all over the place and all over life. You know, it's, I imagine this, like I haven't worked corporate jobs, but I would imagine that this is something that's present in like certain companies. It's definitely present. In, like, I remember it when I did, like, cross-country and stuff like that. Like, there's definitely a lot of sports, and especially individually-based sports, mm-hmm. that have the same feeling. So I feel like there's, like, a universality or in the core of this that we're kind of using these terms to express. I feel like maybe we haven't gotten totally to that crux of it yet. But, yeah, it's it's definitely, it's not just a music thing. I just, I think music is such a, it's an easy and it's a vivid way to experience that feeling it's a universal human experience for sure i also just want to point out that me and matt both did cross country and have yet to race and that's pretty (laughs) all right well trevor i was just going to ask you if you could zoom out for us Let's make this a broader topic. Let's make this a more universal topic. Um, aside from music, where does this crop up in your life? Oh, man. 
okay, it pertains to music and it doesn't at the same time. Matt wouldn't understand because he's got one foot in the grave being 90 and everything over there. But uh, my five-year high school reunion is coming up. And not that I would ever go to something horrific like that, but it does kind of put the looming ghost in your mind of all of these people are graduated college now. They're semi-successful to some degree. Most of them are starting careers. What am I doing? It's very easy when it's someone you hate and it's not a friendly competition uh, to be like, oh, they're going to be like multimillionaires and everything. And I'm going to be the hack that threw it away trying to be an artist. But when it's your friends and you're actually close and you see the behind the scenes of their life, you get that similar push to like do well because they're doing well, but you also realize it's not all glitz and glamor for them either, which that's like zoomed way out, right? Like that's like life path and life choices. Um, That's about as out as you can be. But I definitely feel a similar thing there. Granted, it's not always as positive and as healthy. Um, It has been though. I have a buddy who went to school and did the national guard and is doing all of that. And he's doing pretty well for himself. And I have another buddy who is going to start working at Microsoft uh, as a video game developer for Xbox, like kind of high up on the rungs. And like those two kids are both kids that I was in my first band with. And like, obviously they didn't stick with the music thing, but we still have that kind of like push with each other. Cause we're all still friends and we're all like, really striving and kind of picking each other up and supporting each other. But also like, you know, the kid goes, Oh, I saw where they made Minecraft. And then I'm like, Oh dude, I just raised like $2,000 for charity at the show. And then the other kid's like, I have no college debt anymore. Cause I did the national guard. Like, it's like all things like that. And he, like, you know, you compare, but ultimately it's never a negative thing then because you're all friends. It's just kind of like, okay, who's next? Like, what? where's the bar going to be? Kind of like Matt was saying with the leapfrog thing. I love this topic. I was just having a conversation recently with somebody about what a big moment it was for me to realize that I have spiritual peers and not just age-specific peers. Because mm-hmm. that was really hard for me for a while, you know, seeing people surpass me in achievements and accolades. The point is, I I feel so much more comfortable in my world now that I'm not comparing myself to people my age. And yeah, I'm I'm probably less accomplished in a lot of areas than people my age. I'm definitely more accomplished in some areas than people my age. But age is not really the thing that matters. What matters and what makes somebody appear, I think, is common community and common purpose. And that's what I think we all find in each other, which is why I can't compete with anybody. Because <laughs> again, my fear is like that I will be seen as competitive or seen as trying to be better than the people within the community. And then I'll get pushed out somehow. And that's that's just baggage. That's not to say anything about the nature of competition itself. But when you look at the concept of peers... And wanting to make each other, wanting to encourage each other and wanting to make each other proud and wanting to push each other farther. 
there's such a blessing in that that you don't necessarily find with just the people that you grew up with or the people that you went to school with. Mm. And I think it's something that everyone feels early on in life. Like there are the milestones that we have to hit together. There's the rate of evolution that we all have to keep to together. And that can be a healthy motivator, but it can be a really unhealthy source of discouragement as you go farther. Because if you let yourself think, well, that time has passed me by and I didn't hit the milestone, then what's going to keep you going further? Well, it, it, you just pointed something out. Like that's the thing; they're all abstract benchmarks, and just because they're healthy for one person, it, it's not a gander goose situation. Yeah, that doesn't mean it's healthy for everyone else. Because if you break life and limb to get to like you know whatever, have two kids, married, whatever, have house, like move out and own your own place, for someone that might be really comfortable. For someone else that could be a really unwise decision at that point in their life. And then they're ruined financially in, in a bajillion dollars of debt or whatever. You never know. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too is those milestones and those, um, even just the fact that people in a graduating class would be considered peers. It's like the only thing you really have in common for that entire chapter of your life from the time you're like five or six until you know, whenever you graduate, is it's really just your age. Because for most of that time, you're almost too young mentally and temporally to develop actual interests and passions and paths and shit like that. So, like, to reckon with that, like, healthily, is mm. to actually kind of let go of the only semblance of a peer group that you've been taught since you've been able to think about that. So it's kind of, it's different, because, like, my, like, music peers versus, like, my high school peers, like... Music peers, we all kind of understand the deal. Like Trevor was mentioning, like we all go through that on some level or another. So there's like, it can get competitive, it can get shitty, it can be whatever. But like at the end of the day, we all kind of know what it's like to go up that high, to crash down that low, whatever. Like it's all kind of a common language after a little bit. But I have the same experience with my high school reunion. Like I didn't go to it. I didn't get invited to it also, I found out. But <laughs> I wasn't going to go to it anyway. <laughs> and like a lot of that was because I was just like, I felt like a failure and I still totally do, but I realized a lot of it in a more practical sense was that I was just so fucking tired of having that conversation and mm. I didn't have a better answer than I did five years ago. So it was like, why the hell would I go? Why would I subject myself to this? Because I'm going to have the same freaking stock answer I did when I was 17 and I can't explain why. And these people are all going to give me that little pitying look, you know, where they're like, oh, well, keep doing it. Keep doing your music. And you'll, it's like, oh, God, you know, after a while that starts to grind you down. So it's, it is weird, but it's like the only alternative is to kind of let go of the possibility of ever being accepted or into that kind of like loving rat race that that side of the fence has, or yeah. at least you're told that it has. So it's, it's weird. I think there's more to it sometimes than just the jockeying aspect. My father told me he'd be proud As soon as I went to school My mother pretends that she doesn't have a clue Now I'm just a deadbeat Who's trying to fly Feel the gravity of everyone else's planes As they fly by Everything feels You know, the journey that I've been on with this topic is an interesting one because thinking about where I was at during my five-year high school reunion, I was 
getting ready to publish a book. I was just considering myself a an unpublished but soon to be professional author. Like that's what that's what I thought my path in life was. And all I ever did was write. Did I feel any competition, let alone any healthy competition during that time? No, because all of my peers, like actual age peers and peers who were also writing at the time, were not doing the same thing that I was. So I didn't really feel any competition then, but I would have happily taken it on. When I got more into musical composition, I didn't feel any competition, let alone healthy competition. I just kind of felt cynicism. I just kind of felt that every other musician around me was writing more barroom-friendly music. Every musician around me was writing more happy, feel-good. <laughs> what do I even do with that, you know? <laughs> so I felt alone. And I don't think I would have welcomed competition then because what I was really, really, really reaching for at that point, like the age that Matthew is now, um, <laughs> is uh, I was trying to be heard. I was trying to be understood. I was trying to express myself and, and I was trying to express exactly what I was feeling at that point in my life, which was the lack of peers, which was the lack of community, the lack of understanding you know, so I was writing songs about deviating from the norm. I was writing songs about leaving the conventional path for, you know, where the fuck do you even find spiritual solace? I don't know. I didn't know back then. So that's what my songs were about. But at no point since I was a more insecure person would I have appreciated competition? So I think this is a very roundabout way of getting to this point. I think that there's something to say for the maturity level that you have to be at. I don't even want to put it that way. You have to have developed respect for your peers and not be trying to surpass them or not be insecure about keeping up with them in order to engage in healthy competition because in order to compete in a healthy way, it almost requires that your ego is like not just going to be placated. And it requires that you're not trying to put down anybody else's ego. I guess you have to be in a place where you can kind of take ego out of the way a little bit. Yeah. And, and get a kind of fulfillment out of the craft and out of the community and out of the scene, whatever it might be, that isn't just fulfilling your ego but is instead serving all of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, um, the, the competition inherently, too, also kind of teaches you that humility, even if you're not 100% there yet. Thank you for using the word humility. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in, in place of my 1,500 words. <laughs> no, 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 it's all good. Um, I, I think that's kind of a big part of it, is it kind of, it doesn't put you in your place, but it teaches you how to take it. So you kind of just learn how to like put yourself somewhere when you need to be out of the way or when you need to sit down and learn mm. as opposed to just fight, fight, fight. There are times where you can just kind of like let it wash over you. The other interesting aspect of it is you were talking about how you were feeling a little bit alone, especially by virtue of, um, there being happier music around you and stuff and happier, like happier songwriting than you were necessarily aiming for when you're writing and you're in that lonely headspace, the competition can kind of 
breed camaraderie as well. Mm. You kind of get both uh, as long as you're doing it in the healthy way, obviously. So I think a big benefit to what especially me and Matt's got going on is we kind of always know what's going on with the other without necessarily talking about it or anything, just because we're both living it the same way. And you can tell when that competition arises and we both react to it similarly and it's who's going to deal with it better. Mm. And then whoever ends up dealing with it better, now that we've identified we're doing this together separately, Mm. it gives you that moment to use the humility that's already kind of on the line to sit down and learn from whoever won that particular situation. Yeah. You just summed up what I was trying to say perfectly, which is that you should never assume that just because you're a certain age or just because you have a certain amount of experience that you've learned everything you need to learn. Yeah. And when you can back down and learn from somebody else... You know, you're watching somebody, let's take this back to music, I guess, when you're watching somebody on the stage and they play better than you, whether that's true or not, even if you're you're just like insecure about it or something, somebody plays better than you and you're able to watch their technique and learn from them. And it's not like, oh, I've been playing 10 years and they've only been playing for five. Why do they have a better technique than me? Don't let that make you insecure. Let that allow you to learn. The other thing with that too, if you want to take it outside of music, with stuff like the Black Lives Matter movement and anti-police brutality stuff that's been going on, or even just the anti-racism thing, you know, a lot of that is ingrained and learned from an older generation mm-hmm. in times past. And you can tell the people that are still learning and willing to get educated because they make their decision based on that and they sit down and they listen to people that are being oppressed and they're like okay maybe what i know isn't right and the people that feel like they're too old to learn and know everything and everything has its place in the world and i know that that's going to be the place in the world that's just how it be it's a very universal lesson and i think music is a good surrogate because music is the uh least bullshittable thing on the planet sometimes even if it's good music, you can tell when music's manufactured. Mm. You can tell when someone is writing manufactured. You can tell lyrically when they're manufactured. You can tell how they behave as manufactured and if there's someone in a little earbud that's telling them to smile. <laughs> um, music is a very good way of stripping all of that away and just what you're getting is what you're getting. And you can apply a lot of those lessons or a lot of those experiences to everything else because you're getting the rawest and realest form of someone, whether that be rehearsed or not. You learn those things very quickly doing this kind of stuff. I have more people skills sometimes than people I know that have gone to school for fucking marketing and advertising. You know, like you just learn how to read rooms and stuff like that. And it's just, you know, it's, it's universal. It's ubiquitous across everything. Mm. It's good points. I just want to impress you, Matt. <laughs> Trevor, you could never impress me. That, that's fair. I yeah. also would like to preface all of that with, um, I was talking about, you can tell when something's scripted. I had Matt write that down for me Yeah. Uh, before we even filmed this. That's why it was such I, a good point. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. my little earworm. <laughs> I'm actually that earbud for him. 
Yeah. Yeah, you are. I don't, I don't know if you saw in the video, but I took my hair down and turned my hat around so I could look more like you. Yeah. I do appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And we look very alike now. Sincerest form of flattery and all that. A couple more years, you'll have the sunken eyes. Um, I have and the dying soul. It's good. No, those were all really good points though. I mean, I'm on the same, same level as all that. I think that's like a part of it that's just letting go of the fear too, you know, of just none of those healthier aspects can be really accessed until, I don't know, until you get bored, I think in a weird way, like until you kind of stop getting excited over the idea that you're alone, even if it's a negative excitement, you know, just until that stops waking you up until depression stops waking you up, all that kind of shit. Like until this stops being that like, Oh my God, like what if we're like, what about this? It's like, as soon as that flicker of like, at least for me, that when that flicker of like, Oh Christ, I guess this is just what life is. When that happened, that's when I started to find that these things began to manifest themselves, um, healthily because, in a weird way, I was just cracked open at that point, you know? So it, like, allowed me to be closer to certain peers. And, like, I, I don't know, I just started looking for something. Because for once, I finally didn't feel like I had an answer or I had a script that I needed to fulfill, even if it meant that I just felt like I'd blown it. Mm. Either way, the slate was wiped clean on some level. So it, I think that's, like, you have to access these types of feelings the way that fits you, too. Because it's a hard switch to just flip. Yeah, what you're talking about is you can only be fueled by your own suffering for so long. Yeah, because everything exhausts. Yeah, and when that's exhausted, you can't necessarily be fueled by someone else's suffering. But when you go looking for what's fueling other people, what you tend to find is empathy. Yeah, definitely. Imagine that you know somebody who has been threatened by competition. Imagine that you know a very talented individual who wants to be better at whatever they do, whether it's music, whether it's another form of art, whether it's in their career, and they've been threatened by somebody else that they perceive to be better or that they perceive to be on a higher rung than them, and what they want to find is a peer who is supportive of them. Mm -hmm. Whether or not that peer is you, say you just observe this in a friend, what advice do you give them to try to embrace the competition as healthy? So I have lived this. So I actually know an answer. It's kind of a multi-step thing. It's not really a straight line thing. It's an assessing the situation first. The person you're trying to help is their aggressor, in air quotes, we'll say, mm. actually an aggressor. Or is it someone who just happens to be doing the same thing and they're threatened? In my specific case of the person that I was dealing with, it just happened to be someone who was also doing the same art that they were excited about. I'm going to use a fake name. We're going to say Liam. We're going to say my friend Liam was super intimidated by another person's art. And he just really, really wanted to be like, better at this art, but he didn't feel like trying or anything. And he was super discouraged and he was got very bitter about this person who really wasn't doing anything uh, to the point where it got like kind of antagonistic and kind of like mean spirited. 
And at some point I had to sit them down and be like, Hey, this person does not dictate. And this is like the most important statement you can make on this. Everyone else's ability does not dictate your ability. There's no ranking system in any art. There really isn't. The world loves to give you the illusion that there is just a ranking system in art and that like top dog is going to win all art. If you're trying to like really get like exposure and stuff like that and really, really be out there and, and you know, really big deal. All art is preparation to get lucky and your preparedness will dictate how you are going to either take advantage or completely drop the ball in that opportunity when it comes knocking. So the thing you say to them is, does this person's ability matter at all if you got the chance? Because they're not more likely to get the chance. No one is more likely to get a chance mm. at anything than anyone else. It is simply who is prepared when it comes. This person might as well be in Tibet when you get your opportunity, even if they're right next door. Just worry about you. Once that is established and they kind of understand that like it is in the me against the world thing or a me against person, wherever the, cause ultimately it's all a projection, right. Of like insecurity to some degree, regardless if anyone wants to admit that or not. Once it's established that like, okay, this person isn't taking anything away from me. That's when the original assessment of, is this person actually adversarial or are you just projecting that onto them matters? Because if you find out, oh, this person wasn't being mean or this person isn't horrible because they're good at this thing. They're just also doing this. Then you try to open the door to collaboration because then you have a situation like me and Matt have where, sure, there's competition in it, but we learn from each other. I've learned more from Matt than I've learned from most people. But you can open that collaboration by finding out like, oh, I was never in an adversarial situation with this person that I'm jealous of. That was all in my head because I was bitter or I didn't feel good enough or I wasn't as far along and therefore it had to be a competition or I was stressed and nervous because I didn't understand that opportunity is equal for everyone and it's just who's prepared. It's not a race. It's a scavenger hunt. So that's kind of my approach to it. The flip side of that is if this person is actually negative, this being the, um, you know, the person that Liam is jealous of, if they are actually like negative and they're being really in your face about it and they're just like, I'm better than you, you simply don't need that in your life. And inevitably, when you even, if, let's assume that they are actually better than Liam. When Liam gets as good as that person, it's going to hit that person tenfold and they're going to get their comeuppance just on the fact that you proved them wrong. And Liam doesn't even need to say anything. Liam doesn't even need to interact with that person ever. Mm. Because just by virtue of you proving them wrong, that you were good enough, is all you need. You don't need validation from someone who's going to just knock you down. That's never going to be a winning battle. And if that's where you're looking for it, you're looking in the wrong place. Yeah. The ones that are going to be the most fulfilling are those healthy, competitive situations like me and Matt's. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh my God, I can't believe you got this opportunity. Or, oh, I can't believe you did this show. And that's in all aspects. Uh, even me, like I was saying earlier, my friend's going to work at like one of the coolest and like most uh, influential video game studios in America right now. And that's a crazy, he's like doing significantly above in terms of like clout points, we'll say, 
that's like leagues above where any of the other kids I graduated with are right now. Mm. But it doesn't fucking matter because it's a camaraderie thing. And it's like, oh, wow, that's a really cool thing that you did. That's going to push me to further pursue my thing as opposed to what am I going to do now? Because he got all the success. He got all of it. And now I'm never going to have anything. Yeah. That's just a defeatist way to live. Yeah. You need to knuckle down and make sure that you're ready when your opportunity comes, because ultimately your preparedness for your own opportunity is going to make or break you. And that is all within yourself, not from outside and not from any competition. You're going to let yourself down or completely uh, let yourself be proud of yourself. Either way, it's all you. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that regardless of whether it's about art, regardless of whether it's about music, it's not about being prepared to prove anybody wrong. It's about being prepared to greet the next opportunity that you get. It's about being prepared to greet the random chance of the universe. And if that opportunity comes your way and it allows you to evolve in any way, you want to have done the work. And so I think going back to the idea about peers, you kind of feel undeserving or as though you haven't earned the place you are at in life based on age. And I think really what we're saying is that the goal is to have earned the next opportunity based on the work that you've put in and based on the way that you have tried to serve those around you as well and not put anybody else down and not expect that anybody else is putting you down, but rather just to be prepared to say hi to the next thing because there always has to be a next thing somehow, you know? Yeah. One of us should say why one of us has a knife now. Well, you see, Joel left us alone. And yeah. now we're alone, and now you get the knife, Matt. Now I get the real Trevor. <laughs> Joel, Joel can't out. save you now. No, this is good. You should do, there should be someone with a knife on all podcasts because it really makes it feel more real, you know? Does it feel more real over video chat, though? Yeah, it's a knife. There's something, <laughs> there's something about just seeing you wield that thing that's real as I need to get, you know? Uh, we don't live that far apart either. So I was going to say, we are close enough where, like, this actually could be threatening, especially yeah. when we know where each other is. Like, like, my internet could freeze, and in the amount of time that I'm figuring out what the hell happened, you could get a pretty good head start. So. <laughs> By the time the feed comes back, all of a sudden it snaps. I'm not in my chair and you turn around and I jump out of that piano. I see you in my screen. (laughs) That'd be good. You can stab me, Trevor. This is healthy. This thing we have, it's good. You can stab Uh, me anytime you want, dude. (laughs) It's a healthy competition to stabbing your friends. Yeah. I don't know. You got any, you got any closing statements, Matt? Or actually, well, before, before that, wow. I just went into like full death to the scene mode. (laughs) Um, Before that, have you ever either been or tried to help said person who is doing the unhealthy competition thing and tried to like guide that path? I feel like me and you both came from that and that's how we kind of came to each other. But yeah, <laughs> I've definitely been that. I don't, but I don't know if I wore it on my sleeve too much. Like when I think back through the times that I was, I know for sure I was that guy. I was also conscious that that was something that I didn't want to be and that was bullshit but it was just like 
it just was where I was mentally. Like I just, I couldn't, cause that was one thing I was going to say earlier was like it, I think to get to a place where you're secure about that stuff on some level, you have to feel maybe not that you have all your needs met, but that you're in the correct echelon or you're in the correct bracket to where they could be met. Like a lot of the hippies, for instance, in summer of love kind of era, a lot of people that were more predisposed to get into like kind of heady intellectual shit and like, sitting around and thinking about the meaning of it all were people who were middle to upper class because their needs were met. So they weren't thinking about how the hell am I going to get through tonight? They were thinking about like, what does life mean? You know, cause it's yeah. just a natural, you still have the reflexes that get you through the night, but you don't need to use them anymore. So now you're applying them to other things. And I've found that like when I was at my most like unpleasant in these respects, especially when I was in my first band I just I remember specifically around sharing songwriting that was something I had a real hard time like letting go of a monopoly over because that was like the one fucking thing in my life that I did and realized I could do mm -hmm. and I could do it like I could write like five songs on the dime just sitting down and three of them would be worth playing at a show two of them would be catchy and then one of them I'd put on a record and that was just something I'd never felt in anything else like I never felt it was sports. I never felt it was school. It was just like, oh God, this is my ticket. Like, this is the thing that I can bring to the world. And so the thought of like getting nudged off that podium too was like, oh fuck, I can't handle that right now. So it was not until I kind of realized, like, I don't know how I took that breath, but it was either just being in a situation where that was forced on me and I realized, like, oh, this isn't something to be scared of, or I just, it got old or something, but whatever it was, like, it wasn't until I started to see that my needs can be met. Like I can be writing songs. Someone else can be writing songs. We're all doing the same fucking thing and it's fine. It's cool. It's actually better. It jockeys within that. Like it's certain days you feel like you're on top. Certain days you feel like you're fallen, but like, you know, you're in the same level mm -hmm. and that makes a difference because that's a much more productive feeling than feeling like you're, you're miles and miles and miles below the lowest so you could fight for your whole life just to get to the starting line you know that's a depressing feeling so I think once that's diffused that's when it starts to turn like you start to realize you have the capacity to make these things healthy but until you get to that point it's all just fear just fear over losing what makes you feel like you're in control or what you love or you know whatever gives you your voice like I think that's a very valid thing to be afraid of. It's just something you have to be really careful how you express because it can make you mean. It, uh, it helps to taste success for sure. It can help that turning point kind of occur a little bit more quickly than it might on its own. When you, uh, have a win and then you have like whatever comeuppance or like whatever knocked back or whatever, and it's a little bit of a backstep or a huge backstep, but then you still have that win and maybe another one, and you kind of realize like, oh, I'm not losing everything. Yeah. I, uh, I also think it's very funny that you were like, oh, yeah, I didn't really wear it on my sleeve too much. I didn't want to be that guy because I was such the opposite. I was so like, I wore it on my teeth, let alone my <laughs> sleeve. Like I was out there biting people. I was awful. Horrible. Well, I, I feel like I probably did. Like it's one of those things I didn't consciously, like I was aware that that was a part of my personality after a certain point. Mm. And I did everything that I could to basically just lie about it in any situation I could. Like, just because it was one of those, like, just slap some bandages over this fucking wound and, like, deal with that at home. But don't take that out. But I'm sure it snuck through. I mean, 
you can't completely hide something like that. Yeah. I, I talked about the event that kind of was my turning point for that on Joel's podcast, Friday night folk mm. on my first episode, that like situation, a lot of that had to deal with me, like doing that and being that guy. Yeah. Um, until I had that intervention and all of a sudden everything was like, Oh man, you got to stop. Kind yeah. of thing, so. <laughs> well, it's weird too. Cause we're both like, like when we're both fronting a band or something, we're both the front man figure generally. Like we're the ones that are kind of doing that in a band. And I feel like when I was younger, I had this perception that I, I think kind of is part of the image. So it's almost like buying into your own myth on some level, but like that the front man is something else. And then the band is the band. Mm -hmm. As shitty as that is to say, it's like, and no one fucking cops to that in the practice room usually, unless it is like a backing band, but that is totally a vibe sometimes in just a lot of bands. And it took me a long time to realize like, it's just another job. Like everybody is doing their thing. If anybody pulled their part out of this, it wouldn't be this anymore. And it's like, there's, there's a lot of insecurity around that too. Sometimes I think cause of what it takes to like go up and be that guy, you have to either believe that you have the right to do that or make yourself believe that for 30 minutes in a bar, but either way, you've got to go up and do this thing that like, no one should really think is right on every level, you know? Like, Oh, for sure. Not. And the irony to all of that is we're both in bands that uh, have rotating frontmen now. Yeah. And I love that. I don't, <laughs> like, I don't want to be a frontman right now in a lot of ways. Cause I'm, I just realized like that isn't, there's so much fun to be had here. Like there's so much, a lot of the feelings that I loved were just seeing like, you know, it's like I like an assist more than a goal sometimes, you know, it's like that's yeah. such a great feeling because you get to go up and have your moment of fucking glory and then you get to see your buddy do it. And then there's kind of that high five thing. And then you like, kiss a little. Yeah, you know, it's tender. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, that's a part of our whole dynamic. I feel like the world knows that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Gentle and firm. Yeah. Are, are the two, the two, uh, <laughs> oh my God. You know what I was thinking about? Uh, this is going to be horrible for Joel to listen back to because he's going to have no idea what, he's going, what we're talking about. You know that turkey postcard that I gave you forever ago about yeah, how to cook right your there. fresh turkey? Yeah. yeah. Do you ever think about the fact that I gave you that and then all of a sudden every time I showed up at your house, a turkey was there? Oh shit. No, I did not. But... <laughs> Yeah, for the listener, in case this doesn't make it to the cutting room floor, um, <laughs> the uh, every time Trevor comes by my house, there's this turkey that appears out of nowhere and hops up into this tree branch near where we would be talking, and just sits there. And it, dude, it stayed there for weeks. I actually got to a point where I was bringing it water, and <laughs> it was like fine with me being there. Like it just the turkey's like not right in the head. It's crazy, dude. I was reading about it. They, it, I think it got cast out of its flock. Oh, uh, so, where its flock now? The, yeah, I know. That's how it felt, man. I was like, <laughs> everybody I told that said, "Oh, you must relate to it." I was like, "Why is that everyone's first thought?" But it was true. That was my first. Because thought look too. at us, <laughs> yeah. a bunch of grumpy old gremlins fighting each other to the top. Yeah, uh, in uh, friendly unabashed competition as rivals like some bullshit Pokemon game. Yeah. That turkey Matt, do is you have any, uh, do you have any closing statements for the people? Um, yeah. Do you think this is healthy? Me and you? 
Yeah, just this this whole way of approaching it. Like, I think in our dynamic, it works, and I'm cool with it. But do you think uh, it's something that you would advocate? Without a doubt, I think you need to find the right person. Mm. I think it's like uh, falling in love in a, in a lot of ways. You don't want to fall for someone who's going to end up ultimately taking a huge toll on you and really ruining you. You want someone who's going to compliment you and build you up. And I think that we literally kind of fell ass backwards into each other via me um, seeing you play once and then chasing you and getting all up in your face uh, <laughs> relentlessly. I was actually wondering when we were talking something earlier, like how the hell did we meet? Um, you played Joel's place and I happened to see you there. And I was, it was right before you, it was, Right before you went on tour, I think it was you oh, and sure. Jay Hook's first tour. That's when we met. Yep. With the day was it the day that I had that hairstyle? That was the second one. Okay. That was not the first one. Um, that was when we were like well, like acquainted. Okay. But you you ended up popping up at a lot more of our shows, mm. and I booked you on the bullpup show with Bailey and terrible people experiment at the uncharted before they built the stage yeah, when it was still on the floor. That's right. And everyone talked over you and treated you like shit. And I was <laughs> irate about it. Like I was absolutely fuming because it was literally the day pipe dreaming came out and you could have like played anywhere that night. And you literally <laughs> were like, Oh yeah, that'd be fun. And came with us. And I chased you out onto the sidewalk and demanded to buy a copy of Pipe Dreaming. And you clearly were like having a smoke and getting ready to go. And I was like, yo, like, I think you're great. Can I please have this? And you were like, oh, yeah. You like definitely seemed confused. And you were like, yeah, let me just finish this button. I'll, uh, I'll, come, I'll come in and I'll sell you one. And I was like, awesome. That's, that's crazy. That was when we met. I like remember a lot of those moments. Like I remember those as things. I just didn't, I thought we like knew each other before that. Ah, oh, that's no. crazy. I just, I just stalked you for all intents and purposes. <laughs> and then, um, at some point you were talking to me about Andrew and you were like, yeah, me and Andrew are kind of rivals. And then you looked at me and you said, we're rivals now. I did. Right. <laughs> you straight up just decided. Ah. I was like, oh, okay. Well, at some and, point we started heckling each other. That was fun as shit. When we started doing that, you yeah. and me and Greg Whitney would always heckle each other at the puzzle factory. And I feel like, Greg, I feel like, I don't know if that was heckling. No, it was definitely heckling because I had Greg on the Death of the Scene podcast um, once a month on Saturdays um, hey. on the Death of the Scene network. Um, <laughs> I had Greg on the show and he was talking to Bailey. Um, and at some point stage presence came up about how me and Greg will thrash around. And he specifically mentioned how me, you and him we're just in a circle of perpetual heckle and yeah. throw each other around the stage. Yeah, that's true. I, I love that shit, dude. That's like my favorite part of those shows because you're just continually fucking with each other the entire night. That's part of the reason I like not being like the front man in a band is like you can enjoy all that kind of shit, like the subtext of a show. You can enjoy like you're always doing it. You're always in the front doing some bullshit on the side of the stage. <laughs> it's like we're constantly doing that when we're up there. Like you'll move the set list around, you'll push a button on a pedal. Like it's like, it's, it's fun. It's good. It, at least you don't, uh, or at least I don't flash my tits at you while you're singing like a high C belt and, uh, <laughs> like you did to me at the C note. Oh, you and liked it. I literally choked on my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't 
think anyone saw it either. No one. I don't even think Molly, who was standing right next to you, saw it. Like, no. well, I was waiting for you to look right at me, and then I just gave it a real quick. It was yeah, discreet. I'm not a monster, Trevor. But yeah, uh, in closing, I think that what we have is super healthy. Yeah. No, I do too. Yeah, it's it's just such a crazy topic to think about directly like this, you know, because it's something that it's hard to put that fine of a point on it without really digging into the weeds of it. And then once you're into the weeds, it's like, what the fuck? Like I was finding earlier, it's like, I might not even be competitive if thought I have been all this time, you know? So it's, yeah, it's just curious about these things, but. I think it's definitely competitive. Cause I think even down to like, when I was telling you like, oh yeah, we're, we're like going to do Mike and, and you were like, how's it going down there? And I was like, you know, like Mike's awesome. This is happening. That's happening. That and you were like, Oh dude, I'm so jealous. I wish I was going down there with you. I was like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like that kind of thing where yeah. it's like, Oh my God, I'm so glad you got this opportunity. But also what if I had this opportunity? Yeah. Oh, that was totally <laughs> my thought. I was like, I'm so fucking happy that those guys are doing that. But also how the fuck can I get to Brooklyn? Like, I, I have a uh, question for you after we get off mic, but that's yeah. uh off mic thing. Yeah. When do you want to go? We can probably go off mic at any point. I think we've. Yeah, I think we're. I think we're done. I think. Yeah. Uh, uh, I have been Trevor Sullivan. Please check out Bullpup. We are Bullpup Band on all social medias. Bullpup Band Instagram. Bullpup Band Twitter. Bullpup Band Facebook. Our band camp is Bullpup Band. And uh, you're Matt. Yeah. <laughs> I should <laughs> really you... be doing that half of it. <laughs> Are, aren't you technically a host for the show? What show oh, are yeah. we on? What? Are we on Black Market Therapy? I sure what is hope so, for? buddy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> is that what this is for? I don't even know what we were recording for. You were just like the podcast. So Honestly, like, dude, yeah. for the first like 10 minutes, I did not know we were recording. It wasn't until Joel said for the listeners that I was like, fuck, and I started taping. So, Because uh, <laughs> he does that. Even with this, he's so good at starting interviews. I don't know. Even when I'm fucking co-hosting, oh, I I do it to all of them. Joel taught me how to do it, so I just got really good at snaking it. And people are like, "Oh my god!" I'm like, "Don't worry, we'll cut anything you're uncomfy with." But it's better. It's just natural. Yeah. Um. That being said, I do have all your tracks. Oh, sweet. I have. I've got 96 minutes right now, so I'm, cool. Definitely something in there. But um. Well, uh, I've been Trevor. This has yeah. been Matt Minigel. Uh, you can find him at Matt Minigel on all social medias. Uh. You can listen to him on Spotify. He just recently put out a single called Hell Yes and Blue. Yes. And it got a banana on it. And yeah. uh that's all you need to know. And it's ripe. So go listen. <laughs> wow, I really set you up <laughs> yeah. to hit a home run and you bunted. Yeah yeah buddy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm gonna stop the recording. That's good having you on dude. And that's our show. As always, Black Market Therapy is a Dead and Mellow production, and to stay in touch with us, you can follow Black Market Therapy and Dead and Mellow Records on social media. You can also submit any questions or comments to blackmarkettherapypodcast at gmail.com. This episode was scored using selections from Bullpup's forthcoming album, Be Evil, which will be out later this summer. And you can find more from our guest, Trevor Sullivan, by checking out his podcast, Death to the Scene. We'll be back in two weeks with our friend Maddie Williams for a conversation about objective truth. Until then. <laughs>